<laughs> but other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Welcome, everyone, to the CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, of course, from the sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, May the 12th. Um, it's an interesting time in, in, in terms of the sports calendar, right, because spring football is now in the rear view. Baseball is coming off of uh, the exam break, um, obviously a lot ahead of them. Um, basketball is, is, is sort of in that place where they're maybe kind of winding down from the, from the grad transfer or the transfer hunt and everybody's getting ready for June, right? Football will have, you know, two dozen official visitors or more, uh, in June basketball is going to have actual live events in June. So it's an interesting spot to be in. I decided to give, um, Dave and Ferber the week off and am very thankful to be joined by the one and only Damon Dillman tonight. Damon Dillman, how are you, my good friend? I am doing just fine. Thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> it was a uh, it was an invitation uh, extended both out of uh, desire to have you on the show and also um, because I, I think Dave and Ferber were, were very ready to be done with me for a week. So they they should be the ones uh, thanking you for coming on. Um, I, I kid, but they 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 were on every show throughout the whole pandemic and and everything since. So uh, give them a week off. Um, first off, uh, Damon, give the people your Twitter handle before I forget. At Damon Dillman, no underscore, no space, obviously. So just at Damon Dillman. And you can also follow Cavs Corner on Twitter, Cavs underscore Corner, uh, a great place for in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, so if folks have been paying any attention to the site over the last you know weeks and months, Damon has been uh, an absolutely uh, – I mean, just killing it on the baseball front. Um, I am someone who – I enjoy baseball. I'm, I've always enjoyed covering baseball. Um to have somebody like Damon who understands all of the characters in, in the story, so to speak, and understands the dynamics at play uh, and bring him in and be able to, to to read your stuff has been so much fun, dude. Like, you have absolutely been killing it. So I just want to give you some um, public kudos for that. Um, let's talk a little bit about that baseball team because, Damon, this is not the team I was promised. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, early, you know, preseason, I mean, these are supposed to be, you know, this is supposed to be a really stacked team, you know, lots of talent you know, um, lots of versatility in a, in a variety of different ways. Uh, and it just didn't happen for them out of the gate. Um, they really struggled. And then it, I don't want to say they've turned the corner because it feels like every time I feel like they've turned the corner, they, they find a way to get back um, away from the corner, if that makes any sense. Um, how would you sort of characterize where this team is right now versus where they started from? It, it, it has Have they really, um, you know, come back to where they were supposed to be or are they still just sort of pointed in that direction do you think i think they're still climbing the ladder uh i think they're getting closer to where to where we all kind of thought they would be they're obviously they're playing a whole lot better as a team they're they're just playing better baseball basically since march turned into april and the the bottom line is they had to because they struggled so much that first month of the season they they lost their first five ACC series, including three in a row at home. They got swept at home by Notre Dame, the first ACC series at the dish this season. They were at, what was it, 4 and 11 in ACC play going into Georgia Tech. Yeah. And then they lost the first game of that series at Georgia Tech, fell in a big hole early and couldn't quite get out of it. So they bottomed out at 4 and 12 in the ACC. And, and going into that weekend, that Georgia Tech weekend was kind of the make or break moment, the make or break weekend for the team, because it was at that point where it was still realistic. It was going to be hard, but it was still realistic that if they won two or three 
each of the weekends, starting with Georgia Tech, each of the ACC weekends still on the schedule, if they won two of the three games, won all of those series, they would finish the regular season at 18 and 18, at 500, at 500 in the ACC. And, and that's kind of that's that golden number, that 18 wins to – the consensus seems to be, talking to Aaron Fitt from D1 Baseball today, he agrees that if you get to 18 wins in the ACC, you finish 500, it's such a strong league, and your schedule is almost all ACC games, you're in the tournament. If you get to 17 wins – you're on the bubble, but you ha- you're you're in the conversation. So they've done a good job ever since that Georgia Tech series of doing just that, of getting themselves back onto the bubble, of getting themselves back into that conversation. They won that Georgia Tech series. They won the Clemson series. They lost the last two games against Louisville, but then they beat Duke and they beat Tech. And so, yeah, they're 13 and 17 right now, which – doesn't look all that great, but compared to four and 12, it's, it's definitely an improvement and they're trending in the right direction and they still obviously have some work to do. They're coming out of exams this weekend. They've got three games against wake this weekend and then finish up with three games at Boston college. Now those are the two worst teams in the ACC this year. If, if the tournament started, if the tournament started this weekend, they'd be the two ACC teams who wouldn't make the ACC tournament field. So so it's it's doable if they go five and one, they need to sweep at least one of those two series to get to 500. That's where that's where it hurts that they weren't able to complete. Like you were talking about some of those. It seems like they're turning a corner and they don't quite get there. I think two great examples of that were when they won that first game against Louisville and then couldn't figure out a way to win one of the other two. And then when they won the first two against Duke and couldn't quite get the job done and complete those sweeps, if they could pick up either win one more win out of either of those spots, then they're still on track to finish at 500 just by winning each series. Now they need a sweep just to get back to 500, but it's doable. You can see it on paper. You you can see a path there. It's just, it's, it, it's still a challenge. There's still work to be done, but they've done a good job of, like I said, putting themselves back in that conversation when at the end of March, early April, it didn't look promising at all. Yeah. I mean, dude, think about like, all right, wait, let me, let me back up a step. I am the person when it comes to press conferences, you know, signing days or whatever, I will always ask the coach, okay, you're going to come in here and you're going to tell us like all the great things about this class. And that's great. I want to know where were the places that you missed? And the the reason I'm bringing that up is because I'm going to ask you what, what do you feel like I don't want to say was the root cause, right? I'm not, I, I think that's that's probably a little bit too uh, narrow focus. But what would you attribute the disconnect between expectations going into the season and the way the thing went be, before that Georgia Tech series? Like what what would you what would you kind of underline as the issues that plagued Virginia? Was it literally just that the bats weren't there? Um, did guys just underperform compared to, to not just what that was expected, but what they put out there? How would you sort of characterize the issues that they faced? Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, it's pretty, not to oversimplify it, but yeah, I just don't think they were hitting the ball well enough. I, I remember at some point, a couple of weeks into the season, as things were, were, were still in the downturn, trying to think back to the beginning of the year. And, and I remember thinking to myself, if someone had asked me, what's the weak spot on this UVA roster going into the season? I don't know if I would have had an answer for you because the narrative going into the season was they were so good in 2020. They started out 14 and four, and then the season got shut down and everybody was back. Everybody from that team, everybody in the starting lineup, all nine regulars in the starting lineup were back. They moved Abbott to the starting rotation because everybody in the bullpen was back and they were so comfortable with the depth they had in the bullpen that they were able to have the luxury of taking their best pitcher in the bullpen and making him a starting pitcher. And he's been, he's been successful in that role this year, but Vassal was back. Savino was back. Griff McGarry was back. Everybody was back. So it, coming into the season, I didn't see where this team could short a sort of short circuit, but that first month or so of the season, they just didn't hit. They were hitting under 200 as a team for those first few weeks of the season. They were, Last in last in the league in hitting, last in the league in on base, last in slugging. They weren't scoring a lot of runs. They were getting the pitching. Abbott and Vassal especially was great at the beginning of the year, and Abbott has Abbott has really come on even more 
as we've gotten into the second half of the season here. McGarry obviously had his struggles, just those control issues that have plagued him throughout his career got, got even worse as the season wore on this year. And he just kind of needed a break, had to be pulled out of the weekend rotation, even struggled at that in that start at VCU. And so, but Savino looked really good in Blacksburg. So I really do think guys were pressing guys maybe weren't aggressive enough at the plate. It's kind of this weird combination where they were pressing and yet not aggressive enough those first couple of weeks at the plate, but they've, you know, Bronco has talked a lot about complimentary football. This team has played a lot of more, a lot better complimentary baseball since April. Like Oak was talking about it today, actually about how the pitchers have just not thrown as many walks. They've done a better job of, keeping base runners close. So they're not stealing bases, getting extra bases from stolen bases. They played a little better defense. Guys have gotten more timely hits at the plate and that has become more contagious as the season has gone on. Devin Ortiz got hot. Devin Ortiz was a guy Oak has talked all year about. I remember the first couple of weeks of the season, he was hitting 130 and Oak was talking about how hard he was hitting the ball. It's just, they were right at someone. And then all of a sudden they weren't right at someone anymore. They were going over the fence or going in the gap and driving in runs. He has kind of sparked this offense. And then Zach Geloff, Nick Kent was down, but he's hitting the ball better. Brendan Rivoli has been there in the middle of the lineup. And then Kyle Teal, the freshman, he's just had a tremendous year. The way he's hit the ball, the power numbers that he's had since he got inserted into the lineup a couple of weeks into the season. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds simple, but I really just think they started hitting better. They, they weren't thinking as much at the plate. They were just going out and playing and it kind of snowballed once things got rolling a little bit at Georgia tech and it has carried them into the second half of the season. And then that combined with the fact that the pitching has been pretty reliable for the bulk of the year. And they just started winning more ball games. Sometimes, you know, we can, we can get super in the weeds about, you know, well, you know, the problem with the, the defense is that the, you know the cornerbacks are 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 playing too far off the ball, and there's da, 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 da. like ultimately on some level, right? There's a part of it that is like you just have to go do the thing, right? You're gonna have to throw and catch in football. You're gonna have to score in basketball. You're gonna have to hit in baseball. And um, I, I was thinking about that as you were sort of talking through like what kind of went wrong for them out of the gate, and ultimately, like you, you know, one of the things was like, oh well, you know, pitchers stopped throwing as many you know walks, right? Like there were not as many, you know, unearned base runners. Right. Um, and what's kind of fascinating, you mentioned Bronco and the idea of complimentary. Right. It's such a simple idea, but it is literally, if you think about it, how all teams are successful. Right. It's that yeah. they do something well. And because they do something well, it makes something easier for something other part of the operation. And then that allows the other part of the operation to do something better. What 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 right now is the is this team's biggest strength to you, and what do they have to lean on as they try to make this this push down the stretch to to make it to the postseason? I think it's such a veteran team, and it's such an experienced team, and they obviously have not played on the biggest stages yet. This is a group. It's wild to me that this this is a team filled with seniors who've never even played in an NCAA tournament game at UVA. That's just. That's just crazy to me. They've never even been to a regional for years. It was, if you were a junior or a senior in this program and you hadn't been to Omaha, the clock was ticking. You know what I mean? But still, these are guys who've played a lot of baseball for this program. And I think this is a situation now down the stretch where they can really lean on that experience. And now they have an idea of what it's going to, they know what they need to do. Now I think they have a better idea of how they need to do it to win these games down the stretch. And I, I also, I have to mention when you're talking about strengths for this team, when you're talking about being able to run Andrew Abbott and Mike Vassell out there, the first two games of a three game series, that's, that's such an advantage for UVA. I know, I know there are a lot of deep pitching staffs in the ACC, but if both of those guys are on, they're going to do their job and keep UVA in the ball game. And then it's just a matter of getting those timely hits and getting enough runs on the board to get the win. And then, like I mentioned earlier, Savino pitched so well in that last game in Blacksburg a couple of weekends ago before, before exams, he went out, he only threw 65 pitches and pitched into the eighth inning. He kept the ball down, which is kind of what they've told him he needs to do. This is a guy who was so highly regarded coming out of high school. He could have been a first round pick coming out of high school. And instead he chose to skip his senior year 
of high school to join to enroll early and join the baseball team last year. And then, of course, that all went sideways because of COVID. But yeah, he, he was so highly regarded, but he's still kind of figuring out he's not he's not facing high school hitters anymore. High school hitters, he could just throw it down the middle and they'd miss it. ACC hitters, if you throw it down the middle, they're going to hit the ball. He's figuring out where he needs to put the ball. He kept it down in the zone against Virginia Tech, got a lot of ground balls, got three double plays in that start, got some nice defensive plays. But, yeah, if if you have Abbott and Vassal one and two, and then if Sabino could build off of that performance and be the guy a lot of people expected him to be coming into this season – that's a real strength for this program, not just these last two weekends, but then in the ACC tournament. And then who knows if you, if you're able to sneak in, in, into a regional with that kind of starting pitching, anything can happen. The old adage is good pitching beats good hitting for a reason. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing that I thought I wanted to talk to you tonight about in, in, in addition to sort of the home stretch is I, I we are, you know, on the show, we, we, we tend to, we tend to try to make calls. We trend, you know, we have a prediction <laughs> podcast and stuff. I'm gonna put you on the spot and and sort of I want you to to give me um your crystal ball, so to speak. Um, not to cross networks there. Um, your forecast on what you like what you think is gonna happen. Like what's your what's your gut tell you on the way this thing goes for them and will they make it to the post? I I think they're gonna win both of these last two series. I I have a hard time if they're going to sweep. I think this is the weekend they have to sweep somebody. I think at home against wake is this is as big or bigger of an opportunity to get a sweep than that Duke series a couple of weekends ago. I it's, it's, it's really hard to win three games in one weekend in the ACC. It doesn't happen all that often. UVA hasn't done it since I guess it's 2019 season, but, but anyway, no, I think they're going to win both of these series. I think they're going to get to, at least 17 ACC wins, which puts them on the bubble. And then, and then you just wait and see what happens at the ACC tournament. You got UVA hasn't gotten out of pool play in forever in the ACC tournament. They've changed the format a few times and UVA still has not advanced. They haven't gotten to the semifinals since they've changed to this new format a couple of years ago. So, but that's an opportunity because those, the NCAA selection committee looks at, the totality of your ACC wins. It looks at your regular season record and then it adds how you do in the ACC tournament. So if you go two and zero in pool, if you win 17 games, then you go two and zero in pool play and make the semifinals. That's 19 and 19. And then you're back at 500. So I, I think they're going to win both these series. I'm not confident enough to say they're going to sweep either of them, but, and I think they're going to win at least I think they're going to win them both, put themselves on the bubble going into the the ACC tournament, and then I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're going to win their pool. I They haven't done it in a long time, but like I was talking about with the pitching they have going into that that week in Durham, I get I was it in Charlotte this year. But anyway, I think they're going to win their pool, and they're going to solidify their NCAA tournament bubble hopes by winning their pool in the ACC tournament. That's my bold prediction oh, for you. I like it. I like yeah. bold. I like bold. I'm the guy who picked LaBelle Davis for the record as my guy last year. There Just you go. saying. Oh. And, you know. You and then that we, one. Yeah, right. We 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 stopped recording and and they both were like, "Wait, LaBelle Davis really?" And I was like, "Yep, I think he's going to be a thing." And then I rode I, I rode that victory lap so many times last season, Damon, you don't even know. So if that's the way it works out, you you feel free to to ride that victory lap as much as you want. Um all right, I want to talk a little bit about this incredible story you just did um, on the former um, Cavaliers, former folks associated with the Virginia baseball program who are sort of living their their baseball life in Major League Baseball away from, you know, not just not not necessarily playing on the field, but doing a lot of things around the game to stay involved in the game. And I I got to be honest, I I have we've 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 published a handful of like long form pieces, most of them all of them Ferber, um, um, because he he he's much more uh, he's much better at the at the long piece. I'm I'm good at I'm good at like seven hundred fifty eight hundred words, right? Ferber will send me a story that's like you know five and a half thousand. I'm like, all right, we're gonna have to cut these into pieces. Um, but that thing you wrote, man, I just thought it was not just 
excellent in terms of the way you structured it and all that fun stuff. But like, I thought that the, everybody you talked to seemed to give you just really good, insightful stuff. Where did that idea sort of come from? And, and how long, how much legwork did you have to put into, um, to putting that thing together? So the whole idea came from, I was talking to, I was talking to Matt Dowdy and I forget what we were talking about, but he had mentioned that Justin Novak had bought that van and was planning to drive across the country um, to report to work with the Mariners. And so it all stemmed from, I thought that was just like the coolest thing, like buying a van to drive across the country to go be a baseball coach and for, for a minor league baseball team, one step away from the majors. So it all started with that. And it just kind of branched because initially it was like, Oh, it'd be cool to do a story on Justin, just catch up with him. And then in the back of my mind, it was like, I need to catch up with Danny at one of these at, at some point here. And obviously talking to Matt, uh, he, I th- I'm good friends with the entire Dowdy family. I, I knew his whole situation. He was with the Phillies last year. So I'm a Phillies fan. So we would vent to one another a lot. And so it just kind of brand it, it. The idea just came to me. It's like, instead of doing all these little stories on each of these individual guys, why not just do a bigger thing on, because as I mentioned in the story, that number's growing. It, there's more than I even realized, to be honest with you. I, I didn't realize that there were, there, there were those high-ranking guys who were at UVA who in the, uh, the Cleveland organization now. Uh, Jeremy Farrell was a guy who played for UVA before I got here, and now he's high up with the Cubs. And Reed Gregnani was here when I first got here, first started covering the team, and he got drafted by the Red Sox and has been with that franchise ever since. And catching up with him, I had talked to Reed, and gosh, I don't know if Reed even remembered me, to be honest with you, when, uh, when I first reached out to him. But Nate Irving with the Reds, uh, it's just every time, I, every conversation I'd have with one of those guys, it just, I'd learn something new. And I just, the story got a little bit deeper and a little bit more interesting to me. And it was, it was just so much fun just to catch up with those guys and hear what they're doing now. And you can hear in their voices how much they genuinely love what they're doing now and the roles they're in. And so many of them are deep in the data analytics now that has, is so prevalent, especially at the major league level and down into the minor league systems and now working its way into college baseball and even down into like the high school and travel ball scene. So it's just even just like just catching up with Danny. I've talked to Danny. I, I, I missed covering Danny by a couple of months. They went out to Omaha in 2011. And then a month later, I started working here in Charlottesville. But I've gotten to know Danny over the last couple of years, talking to him as he tried to make his way back and then ultimately did make his major league debut with the Cubs. And just just hearing the tone in his voice as he was talking about, yeah, I had to retire, but I got there. I got there first. And I could just tell by the tone in his voice that he was genuinely – he knew it was time and he was okay with it because he got that opportunity to pitch in the major leagues. That's all that guy wanted for the longest time. And so it was just so much fun to catch up with those guys. And I mean, I just think it working in baseball that, that if I had a better, I hope my old guidance counselor from high school isn't listening to this because if I had a better guidance counselor in high school and knew all the jobs that were out there in baseball, that's like when Matt Dowdy's talking about how he evaluates players, the Mariners might possibly go out and trade for her, might go out and, and sign as free agents. That's like a dream job to me. I would have loved in a different life to have been a front office guy for a major league baseball franchise. So I just, I thought all of it was just fascinating. And then I, I writing it was just so much fun. And I, I hope people enjoy it as much as I did putting it all together. Cause I had a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Random question that I just thought of. If you had to <laughs> drive across country in a van, <laughs> you, and and you and I love that the little tidbit. You're not allowed to call it a um, uh, RV. Or no, because Matt Dowdy told me, yeah, Novak got an RV. So I I was talking to Novak, and I'm like, yeah, Dowdy was telling me about your RV. He's like, it's more of a van. It's a van. It's, it's not an it, RV. Fit, you know? It fits in a normal parking space. I love that. It fits in a normal parking. Space. All right, if you're going to drive across country in a van, what is the job? Gosh, ooh, I don't know. Uh, like I said, maybe similar to those guys some sort of front office job with a with a major league baseball team something to that effect i don't know at this point if i'm at a point if you asked me that 10 15 years ago if espn <laughs> was in california and they offered right. me a job i'd yeah. hop in the car the next day but i think I'm, right 
I think that ship may have sailed. I'm beyond that point in my <laughs> life. So I don't know. That's a tough question at this point. Yeah. Well, um, it's it's interesting because like for me, I think it would probably. I mean, like I like sports a lot. I mean, I mean, listen, I I'm a kid who grew up in Virginia. Um, my sister went to UVA. I went to UVA games my whole life. The idea that I cover UVA for a living is kind of absurd to me. Um, I would imagine that if I was going to do something like drive cross country or whatever, um, it would have to be something you know substantial. But I could see it being something to do with like writing about you know whether you know. I'm I'm a I'm a nerd, so I I love movies and TV shows and technology. Yeah, I'd be a sitcom writer. I I I remember. (laughs) See that's see that seems like too much pressure, right? Like it's one thing to 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 write a thing that you you know you find something that's interesting to write about. It's another thing to try to make people laugh. Like oh man, I don't I don't know about that. Um, maybe maybe you're just funnier than I am, but that just or maybe just write movies. I don't no, I don't know. I think. Yeah, you you know you hit your stride. Now I feel pressure to say something funny. No, no, you don't have the you know you, you don't you don't feel you don't feel any pressure. Um, I I I want you to know that the entire time we were talking about the baseball team, I was doing everything I could to avoid the cliche, you know, shot in the arms because you know vaccines and shot in the arms and stuff. Fair um, enough. And then as I we were just talking about like jokes and stuff, I was like, well, I should have used that because that was actually probably pretty funny. Um. But now it's totally out of context. So this is this is what this is what you get from from nerdy dudes um, is jokes that are no longer funny and completely out of context. Um, all right, last thing on the on the on the piece is there a uh, is, is there somebody who um, like all, of all the jobs right that you heard about right of all the different um, you know roles that that all of these former um, folks are, are are serving in? What was the one that seemed like the most fun to you? Ah, that's, hmm. I I have a feeling that they all, I, I, I have a feeling that they all have their fun moments, but I mean, Nate Irving's with a major league baseball team every day and he's a bullpen catcher. He's, he's involved every day. He, tra- he travels on those roads. He's basically living the lifestyle of a major league baseball player, except he's not playing, which obviously I'm sure the pay isn't quite what a major league baseball player gets, but I mean, if you grew up wanting to be a baseball player, that has to be pretty close to the next best thing, right? That that's you're in the clubhouse every day. You're working with those guys every day. Tucker Barnhart won a gold glove. He's one of the best catchers in baseball and Nate Irving's working with him every day. He talked about how he catches Sean Doolittle in the bullpen when he's warming up to go in and pitch for the Reds. So that's a small world moment right there too. So I think, I think that would be, just you know if you wanted to be a major league baseball player that has like i said that has to be pretty close to the next best thing yeah i would imagine that also as you were just talking i was like well actually you know maybe being an announcer would be a lot of fun not that i'm trying to like steal dave kane's job but maybe <laughs> maybe wouldn't be i wouldn't be opposed to being um to stealing um tony covington's job like i would love to be like the color guy i did some of that in um uh, in my first stop in journalism i was the um, the sports writer for the newspaper in my hometown and the um, the basketball team there was just really good, the high school team. And uh, so they had a you know, handful of games that were like on the radio. And so I had to do, you know, I got to do color for those games. And I'm going to tell you what, there is stress. We're talking about stress. Um, there's stress. And then there's trying to like keep stats and write a story for a newspaper while you're actually on the radio. Um, that is multitasking at a yeah, which is like two steps beyond like keeping your own stats while you're your own photographer at a football game. Um, that's on a whole other level. But I digress. All right, speaking I of football, to, uh, well, I was going to say I used to do a lot of play by play when I play Madden. <laughs> you know, mute the TV and do your own play by play. I used, uh, yeah, I like I like that you just admitted that on a, on a podcast publicly. That was impressive. That, that that took a lot of guts. No, I, I look. I think every single human who's played video games or sports video games at least has done that at least once, if not a lot. Right? Um, not I when would, it was past Summerall and Madden, because I enjoyed. No, yeah. Then you the then you listen to them. That's true. Yeah, you, you but what? Them. And I'm also showing how old I am to talk about. I used to play it when it was Pat Summerall. Hey, and man, they the were really good. They were they yeah. were the best. They were the best. Before we get to the the football side, I, I want to um, um, play a little segment that that, that we recorded earlier today um, with our new sponsor um, Andy uh, Ludicky from um, MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, he, if you're a member of the site, he posted on the board and 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 uh, we did a little Q and A, and I, I kind of fleshed that out a little bit more um, in this segment. 
Um, we talk a little bit about his business and sort of what he does and how he goes about doing it. Um, and honestly, like my eyes have like, this is one of those things that I, I, I talked to him about it. Like <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing that happened. Like I, maybe I'm just naive, but I didn't realize that like you could, uh, you could basically, you know, kind of get into owning a franchise, um, just because you were interested in it like that, that, that part to me was, was kind of fascinating. So um, here's here's our, our segment. We'll we'll do this um, you know here and there on the pod where where Andy will come on and sort of talk about um, he, in the future it'll be more about topics and things like that. But um, check it out. Quick segment with uh, Andy uh, Ludicky from um, MyPerfectFranchise.net. Andy, I am so excited to uh, finally connect with you for the podcast. We've been uh, for folks back uh, who are listening to this. Full disclosure: Andy and I have been talking about. Uh, getting started with this, um, with him being a part of the site and uh, being a sponsor of Cavs Corner for a while. Um, so I'm really glad to to sit down and talk to you for a few minutes, Andy. How's it going? Yeah, Brad, thanks for having me. Things are going great over here, and I'm, I'm real excited to get going with you guys as well and hopefully add a little value or insight in the world of franchise ownership here. I, first off, I want to say that when Andy reached out and we started talking about doing this, um, I got to be honest, I, this is not a thing. Like what Andy does, I had no idea was a thing people did. Um, as somebody who's sort of insulated <laughs> from a lot of like the business world, I, I, th- I think it's really been enlightening for me to learn about some of the, you know, the things that you do and how, you know, how your business works and what, what you do on a regular basis. And I think that what I'm interested in, in hearing from you, Andy, and, and I'm sure some of my listeners would be too, is how, how, do, how does one get into this? Not necessarily just in from from your side of it, you know, in terms of how you became somebody who, who does the work that you do. But, you know, if you're, if you're just, you know, Joe Schmo off the street, how do you, how do you end up becoming a franchise owner? Like that's a kind of a fascinating um, sort of plot twist in one's life, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, I I didn't know Brad that, you know, what I, I, what I do is I'm a franchise consultant. So I help people find businesses that kind of fit their DNA, so to speak. Um, And, you know, nine years ago when I bought my first franchise, I didn't know that franchise consultants were a thing at all either. Um, I knew about Google and I went to Google and I asked Google about uh, franchising, you know, clicked in some, typed in some stuff and um, I filled out a form. And then about 20 franchisors called me and one franchise consultant called me and I didn't know who to trust. um, And I didn't know what was out there. And so when this franchise consultant told me, Hey, I'm going to match you up with a business based on the skill sets you have, the business characteristics you're looking for, the money you have to invest, the time you have to commit that all really jumped out to me. And I said, you know what, I'm going to follow this process and and see where it takes me. And my first business that I bought was a a synergy home care. Um, It's a non-medical home care business. And it kind of really matched who I was at the time because I had a previous life in pharma. I was a pharmaceutical rep. Uh, early in my career, my wife was a nurse practitioner, and I had learned about the need for home care because my mom had a terminal illness, and I'd taken care of her some uh, as well. So it was just a really perfect fit for me, and it kind of paved the way for me in my business ownership and franchise uh, consulting career. Uh, fast forward, you know, four years ago is when I became a franchise consultant, and now I'm helping people do exactly what was done for me, uh, which is find businesses that really fit their DNAs. When you, when you talk to, to different folks who are, who are thinking about doing this, what's the one thing that you hear the most, the one, the, the doubt, right? The biggest question that you have to, to sort of handle, what's the, what's the biggest one that you hear from people? Well, gosh, I, I think that, you know, well, there's, there's fear from all different sides of the, of the equation when you're looking at uh, business ownership, whether it's fear of, can you do it? Can you be successful? Um, is it the right opportunity for me? Um, is this something that I feel comfortable putting all this money into? What about losing my, my income? Um, there's a lot of different types of fear that come up as you, as you're looking into business ownership for the first time. The number one concern overall though, is how am I going to replace my income? And what about my benefits in the 401k, the blue cross blue shield, whatever. Um, so yeah, those are things that we tackle through the process. And what's really cool about going through the process of finding a franchise that fits who you are 
is it's not uh let me tell you about a couple franchises then you start uh typing away on google no it's a very comprehensive process where you're going to learn about how this business markets to its customers learn about customer acquisition strategies there uh is it digital marketing outside sales networking community involvement um then you're going to learn about operations um what's the owner's role in the day-to-day -day of this business uh then you're going to learn about uh, the franchise disclosure document, which is the infrastructure of the business. Um, then you're going to learn about, uh, well, you're going to learn about everything through the next step, which is called validation calls, where you're actually talking to franchisees that are currently in the system and asking them anything and everything you want. And I always tell coach my candidates, the first question I like to ask is, would you do it again? And then you get into how quickly to break even, how much money are you making today? What's the opportunity in this business? Where do you spend your time time on? And once you have a series of validation calls, it ends with you deciding to go and meet that team, go to like what they call a discovery day where you in non-COVID times, you're flying out to the corporate headquarters. You're meeting with all the executives, the CEO. They're taking you out to dinner and putting on a series of presentations, answering any unanswered questions you may have so you can make a, a decision within a week or two after leaving their discovery day. But that whole process is there to make sure that we take the fears that you have, uh, the concerns that you have about business ownership, and we get those fears or those questions answered so you know what you're getting into and you can be very comfortable making an investment in yourself and that business at the end of the due diligence process. Interesting. Um, so, all right, I got two things for you. All right, first off, um, I, I can understand that there are probably people who are listening to this thinking to themselves all of a sudden like, oh man, I could, I could see myself doing that. Now, they might be one of those people who have that same fear, right? Whether it's the benefits or just the money about it. So what about how, how like, what's your, what's your general, um, you know, like, how does it work with financing, right? Do, do, do the, the vast majority of folks you work with, are they putting that stuff up front? Um, is there financing available? How does that work? Yeah, I would say the SBA is the typical uh, funding um strategy used uh there are a couple of different ones obviously cash cold hard cash you can invest all of that and deploy it all straight into the business but the sba typically you're putting 15 or 20 percent down um right now the sba has a little bit of a COVID stimulus package itself where they are paying it was six months now it's three months because so many people have utilized this but they're paying the first three months of your loan principal and interest it's not deferring payments it is actually paying your first three months uh, of your loan. So I, I, I like to look at the SBA uh, first. And then there's also a very unique uh, investment product called with your 401k uh, program called, called a ROBS program. ROBS is an acronym that starts for, uh, stands for Rollover for Business Startup. Um, there's a lot that goes into it, but basically in layman's terms, you are instead of investing in the stock market, you're rolling it into a corporation and investing in shares of stock in yourself and in your, your franchise as a retirement vehicle. So yeah. uh, SBA, the ROBS, and then traditional bank funds, uh, funding programs as well are available. All right. So last thing, um, the other thing I'm guessing people are hearing as they listen to this segment is, all right, but how, how, how what's, what's the catch, right? Like what's, what's the catch? Like, uh, I, I think plenty of people, especially uh, coming off COVID times and, um, you know, everybody trying to figure out, you know, some something, you know, whether it's this group selling, you know, oh, we're going to start selling, um, you know, vitamins or we're going to start, sell, you know, there's, you know, you get on Facebook or wherever and there's just these, you know, the opportunities, quote unquote opportunities, right? Um, what's the, what's the, what's the pushback you hear from people and how do you answer sort of that that piece of it which is like what's the catch what, what's your like how much does it, do your services typically cost and like what's the what's the pushback that you get from people on when they when they sort of get into the thick of this and sort of figuring out how the process works you know I, there really isn't a catch and I, I i'm not even bsing you brad um my services are 100 percent free um that sounds crazy but um I, I get paid a commission off the franchise fee for anybody that purchases a franchise that I introduce them to. Um, so there, it, it costs you nothing more to work with me. Um, what you get when you work with me is you know that we're going to go through a very, very comprehensive due diligence process. You kind of think of me as your real estate agent and I am there to help you find the perfect home. 
Um, so my goal is to make sure that we follow every step of the process and that we recap after every single call that you have uh, to where I can add my business experience and insights to help you make a great decision and look, kind of look at it through different lenses um, as you go along. But really, there, there is no catch. That's, that's why I love doing what I do is um, I, I think that I provide, I know I provide a great value with no cost to my candidates or the people I work with. Good deal. All right, Andy, tell the people where they can, uh, how they can get in touch with you if they're interested in talking with you about an opportunity or two. Yeah. So, uh, my website is myperfectfranchise.net. Uh, you can email me at Andy at myperfectfranchise.net. You can call or text me at area code 404-973-9901. Again, 404-973-9901. But, uh, you know, I'm pretty accessible by any of those, those ways. So, uh, feel free to just ping me. And what we'll do is we'll start off with an intro call where I'll, I'll talk to you about the process that we're going to go through. And then I'll answer any questions that you have to make sure that this is a, a, the right fit for you to get into the full blown process of franchise discovery due diligence. Awesome. Andy's going to be appearing on, on podcasts here and there. And, and uh, uh, we appreciate uh, his sponsorship and uh, his support of uh, catscorner.com. Thanks Andy. Yeah. Thank you. I look forward to working with you guys. I love I love talking to Damon about not just baseball because you know he's so well versed in it, but he is somebody who I believe in. Somebody check the tape here. Damon and I were the only two people to go to attend UVA's uh, NCAA <laughs> tournament appearance in South Carolina and then drive through the night the next day, that night to get back to UVA for for the first spring practice the next morning. Um, it, I, yeah. I, did you I was wait? On a did you mission? Did you actually? Did you actually stay, or did you just drive? What did you do? Remind me, I forget. Uh, we got on the road, drove back to Charlottesville. Got, I think I got to my That's house right. at something like five in the morning and That's slept right. for an hour. That's or, right. Yep. I don't remember what time spring practice started, but it was early. So it was I think seven. I maybe got like an hour. Yeah, I think I got maybe like an hour of sleep. Took a quick shower and zipped over to McHugh. Yeah. I, I was working that I had that big Jalen Harrison scoop that he had jumped from the baseball That's team right. to the football yeah, team. And I was determined to get that story that morning before anybody you else were. had it. I remember I was us talking about it. I remember us talking about it when we were down there and we were and everybody else thought we were nuts. And I was like, Well, so for, for just for the story, I I went back to the hotel and I slept for two hours or an hour and a half, and then I got up and drove straight through. Um and I, I mean, I say I slept for an hour and a half, dude. I might have slept for 30 minutes because every five seconds, my brain would go, okay, you only have X number of minutes left. Okay, now you only have X number <laughs> of minutes left. Okay, now you... And, like, it was not exactly the, you know... I mean, it was a heck of a weekend, um, you know, considering everything that transpired shortly thereafter. Uh, it was a pretty wild ride. Um, the, least of my, the least of my travel worries at that point... Uh, or I guess in hindsight was what has how I got back. I mean, it's amazing I got back in one piece. Um, yeah, I often think about some of the road trip decisions I made throughout my <laughs> career, and I would not make. That's probably at the top of the list of road trip decisions I would not make uh, if I was in that position again. But but that's neither here nor there. <sighs> so uh, so one of the what I was gonna what I was setting up was is that. I like talking to you about baseball because you're so super informed. And I like also talking to you about football because at this point, you know, you are somebody who, you know, for the longest time you were so, you know, so following every detail and keeping track. And like I said, getting up in the middle of the night um, or I guess getting up early after you drove all night to go to practice. But now it's not, you know, it's not something that you, you keep up with as much. And so I'm always curious to talk to you because I'm always curious, like what questions you have or what you think of what you've, what you've picked up on. Um, so what do you feel like, uh, is the general gist of spring ball now that is has concluded in Charlottesville? I think it's an interesting, there are so many new faces yeah. that I am just kind of remotely familiar with, as opposed to intimately aware. Like it's just such a different, it's crazy the turnover in the roster, just having missed working through one football season. 
yeah. how different, like a lot of the guys, like Brennan Armstrong, still the quarterback, Joey, we were talking about this before we started, but like Joey Blunt, Mandy Alonzo, and a lot of those guys, what, what are they called? Super seniors. That's what, that's back. what I've been calling them. That's what okay. I've been calling them. Yeah. But there's so many guys who, a lot of guys who have transferred in a lot of the grad transfers, it's just, it's a completely different generation for UVA football now. And it's, it's, What's Bronco going into season number five, six? Yeah, number five. Yeah, five. Yeah, it's 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 his. It's, it's obviously it's his program. It has been for a while, but these are all his guys now. These are all guys who he brought in and he recruited, and they were brought here with what this coaching staff envisioned for them. And it's just interesting to see. It's just such a different world now, too, with the transfer portal and grad transfers, and just how much more wide open for lack of a better way of putting it, these transactional deals are now in, in college sports and how they impact these college rosters so quickly. So my, to be honest with you, my head's spinning a little bit, trying to keep up with who a lot of these new faces are and where they came from and where they fit in, where they're going to fit in and just what this is all going to look like, because I'm not there every day keeping tabs on all of this, like I used to be. So it's, it's definitely, it's a lot easier to keep up with when you're paying attention to it every day, as opposed to just kind of watching from a distance and, and trying to figure out how this is all going to piece together. Yeah. I think one, one thing that's interesting about you, you mentioned the transactional nature of it all is, you know, without practice is, you know, not being able to, to go to spring ball um, and really see them up close. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm one. I just want to say I'm really thankful that they uh, allowed us to to you know to actually cover the spring game and um, getting fans there was great and that was fun was for the that, kids. I know. To, to was have. that the only opportunity you got to see? Yeah, guys? I mean, they, now now to UVA's credit, they did a great job uh, this spring, just like they did uh, during football season of making folks available to us. Um, so like during um, fall camp, um, you know, they would make folks available for for Zoom interviews and stuff. And then they were also posting pictures and, and sharing, um, you know, for TV folks like yourself, they were show they were sharing, you know, melt, you know, video melt from practice so that, you know, you'd have some B-roll to use and things like that. And they were also giving us not just uh, access to them, but then they'd actually re- supply us with um, links for the files, both video and audio of, of the um, of the availabilities, which is great. So credit to them. And, and you know, if, you know, if that's the way it works. This this camp uh, in the fall. Um, I'll be glad to have that as well. But it's just, it's hard when you can't see guys, when you can't watch yeah. them progress and you know, there's not as you, you just don't, you don't feel as connected. But that being said, like the transactional nature of it all sort of brings that about anyway. It's like, Oh, well, you know, you, you get to watch a, you know, a clip here or there of Anthony Johnson at cornerback, the kid from Louisville. Um, and then you see in the spring game, you're like, Oh, well now that I can watch him play, like you get a, a much better appreciation for how physically he is, especially, um, you know, against the run and everything. Um, but there are, you know, I, I wrote this column the other day about sort of looking at like the the sort of um, the pre, almost like think of it like pre-COVID transfer um, world that Virginia used to live in where you had like Kurt Benkirk, obviously you had Bryce Perkins too, but remember it was like Jack Powers and Brandon Purdy uh-huh. and John Montalus and Dylan Thompson, you had a bunch of these names, guys Dylan that effectively, Thompson. you know, other than Perkins and Benkirk, I mean, guys who, you know, had, you know, relatively um, low levels of, you know, productivity and success. But then you look at who they brought in last year and you look at some of those names, you know, where would they be? They have been without Tony Poljan, without, um, you know, without D'Angelo Amos, without um, um, the uh, Diva on the on the defensive line. Um, where would they have been without some of these transfers that were necessities for them? Right. Without Keaton Thompson. Right. Now you look at it, and you, you you get Jelani Woods at tight end. You got the Johnson kid at cornerback. You got Josh Hayes from North Dakota State coming in at cornerback. Heck, they even picked up a punter from Florida, Jacob yeah. Finn. And so it's like these who played a lot of Florida, right? He played well. He didn't punt a lot, but when he punted, he was really good. I mean, they just their offense was 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 pretty was pretty filthy. But um, it well, was almost true. like he just didn't have a lot of reps. But the reps he got, he really maximized on. I think they hit the third. So he best. basically transferred because he wanted to go to a school that needed to punt more. I often. don't know if it was necessarily <laughs> that as much as uh, I don't know if it was that as much as I think maybe the opportunity to be on scholarship. And this is also sort of okay. The, that makes sense. The you know one of the intricacies of this whole thing. It's not just oh, guy gets an extra year, 
right? It's that guy has an extra year, but what does his school think about him playing that extra year? There are going to be a lot of kids that we're going to find out about in subsequent months and such at various schools who who either transferred in part because they wanted to have another opportunity, but also you know transferred because that other school was like, hey, you can play, but we don't have a scholarship for you. Um, you know, the scholarships are not promised. You know, they are year to year. And so I would imagine that a bunch of the guys you see in the portal are because schools were trying to do their best. Think about it like this. They recruit thinking, okay, senior class, how many spots do we have? And they and that that's their general sort of way that they look at the numbers that they're they can expect. Now, when you have so many of the seniors that are, you know, supposed to be coming, you know, at least have the opportunity to come back, what do you if you're a if you're a player and there's somebody that they've recruited who they're, you know, really excited about who is going to take that scholarship. You know, you could be in a spot where, yeah, it's great if they if they can keep you for a year, but they might not want to put you on scholarship because they need to go ahead and get this other kid in. And, and if you don't give him a scholarship, he's definitely going somewhere else, right? It's just so it's yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty crazy situation. It's just such in a different world now, and it just it really changed. Is. It seemed like, from my perspective, again, kind of being on the outside looking in these last couple of months, it just seemed like it changed in the snap of a finger. And it just, I remember a few years ago. Uh, the analogy I made to Bronco, the, 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 I forget which grad transfer we were talking about, but the analogy I made to Bronco was that it's like recruiting is the NFL draft and grad transfers. And now the transfer portal is just going to expand this even more, but that's almost like free agency used to plug holes on the roster. And you were talking about all the transfers they brought in last year and the impact they had on last season and where that team might've been without those guys. And it's just, I mean, again, you, you're paying much more intimate attention to this than I am at the, at, at this point, but it seems like this coaching staff has kind of gotten a harness on that and gotten a, uh, gotten a handle on how to use that to their benefit, how to use those grad transfers, almost like free agency to find the right guys to plug holes where they need them. And, and, helping them not miss a beat. Whereas then they still recruit and develop guys at the same time. So that maybe they're next in line after that grad transfer is exhausted his one year or two years of eligibility. Yeah. Is that, I mean, is, that, it, is that a fair? Yeah, no, I think that that's, uh, that's definitely fair. I think what's interesting too, is like, you know, think, think about UVA's team last year, like Paul Jan, um, Thompson, um, heck even, you know, Shane Simpson, uh, Rashawn Henry, Right. These were all pieces that Virginia needed. Right. Especially with yeah. down, you know, they didn't have Mike Collins. So there's a lot of reason for them to, to, to need these other guys. And then, you know, various courses of energy and stuff like they needed these other pieces. And now you think about some of those guys are coming back for senior seasons. Like I wrote in the column, like if, if you're at a place in your in your program where you can actually take transfers in. Have them have a good amount of success and then you send them out sort of better than you found them. Like that's a heck of a recruiting tactic. Yeah, right? or, I remember, me, Bronco, I remember cap, Bronco you know? talking about that. How they they wouldn't bring in grad transfers just for the sake of bringing in a grad. They brought in guys who they thought could play right away and help them right away because it benefits the player, it benefits them, and it sends a message to other grad transfers yeah. who might be looking for an yeah. opportunity. And it also it it Bronco talks about this too. The idea of urgency, right? That if you are a redshirt sophomore, what's your urgency, right? But if you, if this is your last year and yep. you're coming in, you know, you're trying to make the most of a, of a new situation and you're trying to, you know, you know, you're trying to hit it while the iron's hot. There's a different sense of urgency that you will have. And I think he likes having those guys in the locker room who have that sense of urgency, who, who understand that, you know, the, the time on, on that's the the amount of sand that's left in the, um, in the, in the thing is, is running out quick. And, but the you know beyond that too it's there's also the the aspect of the balancing act of you know your current roster your projected roster and and, and who better than Bronco and his staff considering you know the the world they used to live in right where you had all these kids taking Mormon missions and so even when you got yeah. a recruit you weren't going to get that recruit for 2 years and so you had to have you know a steady idea of like okay who's going on missions who's not going on missions you know, it, it impacted your development. And that's one of the reasons, if, if I'm being honest, like I think that, you know, they really struggled in terms of being physical last year. And Bronco owns this is that because of the, the way he sort of designed practices, right, that he was he was trying to keep their safety and COVID and stuff in total mind and that it impacted their culture. And they're still trying to catch up from, you know, from that. Um, 
But if you think about sort of the way things project out, right? Bronco's super big on the design of things and, and sort of how, um, you know, what's his whole, what, what's that quote he always says, you know, that, that organizations receive the results that they're designed for, or yeah. Yeah, I might be butchering that, but they basically, you get what you're supposed to get based on how good your, your design is. And, um, now with the grad transfers, like there's a lot of balancing that has to go in there. You know, you look at this class of 2022 that they're recruiting right now, they've got a handful of guys in there right now who are all coming on official visits over the next you know month and, and change. And you're trying, you're, you know, Virginia typically in most normal years that by the time the season kicks off, you're, you've got pretty much all of your kids, right? You might need, you know, two or three, and you might have some spots that open up and you might have um, some needs that, that, that certainly um, will arise during the season. But realistically, like most of the hay is in the barn by the time you kick off the season. And right now they're sitting on, I think it's three if, if I'm not, my, my brain's blanking at the moment. Um, they're normally in a much different situation. Now, granted, they're probably not going to take as many this year just because of the uncertainty of to what the NCAA is going to do with the 85 scholarship limit next year. But it, it is kind of fascinating to think about just the, the turmoil uh, and chaos that all of these coaching staffs are, are having to deal with on a regular basis. And it's it's not going to go away for at least until the NCAA gives them some sort of guidance and clearance on are they going to forgive the 85 limit? Um, will you know will folks be able you know the guys who had the COVID year and got the free eligibility year will they continue to to be sort of grandfathered in? Um, what does that mean for kids? Because at this point, I think you're going to start to see. And my worry, I guess, is that you're going to see guys in like the 22 class who push back to 23. Right. And guys in 23 who push back to 24, who who try to wait around another another year um, to let things sort of settle. Um, and and basically what you're going to do is you're just going to compress all of these recruiting cycles. Right. Everybody moves back a year. At some point, one of those years, people aren't going to move back. Right. And then all of a sudden you've got way too many prospects for not enough oh. spots. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like the portal, right? The portal, you have all these kids that are in the portal. They, they leave in, in a lot of situations. There are some, I'm sure, who, you know, are not invited back or maybe they're, um, you know, they're in a situation where they're they don't have a scholarship anymore. There are a lot of these dudes who go from these power five leagues, basically, and are landing in very different circumstances, I think, than they expected when they put themselves in the portal. Um, you know, ultimately, if you have so many guys in the portal and you don't have anywhere to put them, there's so many, there are only so many out. spots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The spots are still the same. Right. Um, so, you know, if they don't have anywhere to put you, you, you got to go down a level. I will be fascinated to see what this means for the non power five teams and, and leagues. What does this mean for like the FCS level? Um, you know, it's, it's always been common, right. For guys to transfer down from FBS to FCS because they can play right away. Well, now that you, you have these guys who were maybe looking for a different spot and then they transferred, you know, down, what does that mean for those teams? Especially because a lot of them were playing, you know, in the spring, right? So they, they probably haven't been as, you know, hot on the trail, so to speak of these kids. So the whole thing is just, it's, it is a it is crazy how like you haven't been away from it that long and it is just a dramatically different world. It's insane. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the circumstances are just so different than they were 12 months ago. Nine it's it's yeah, it's it's a lot to process as someone <laughs> who yeah, is sitting here trying to process it right now to a certain degree. Yeah. Well, I um I think that might be a good place to put a pen in it, man. Do you have any other uh, anything lingering on your mind about spring ball? Anything that uh, that you you've been curious about that you haven't that you don't know? Anything? How any did, questions you might have? I know this is such an obvious question, but how does Brendan Armstrong look? Because I know he's kind of been their guy for since basically since he got here, the heir apparent those first couple of years, and then he got that opportunity last year. Now, what is this red shirt red shirt junior year? Is that right? Yeah. What he's yeah. going into? Yeah. So. It's kind of he's he's been around a long time now. Is 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 he is he the guy? Does he look like he's going to be get the job done? Um, I think that you know all indications are. I think at this point that he is. Um, you know he's certainly in the in the little bits and pieces I saw this spring. You know the big thing with him all season last year was turnovers. You know making the right yeah. decision with the ball, and that's a you know ultimately that's a thing that you can coach right. Um, you you can you can tweak this and that, but realistically I think he went into the spring understanding that that was the thing that had to get fixed and 
I, I think he threw one ball in 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 any of those that eleven on work that we got to see on sat on that Saturday. Um, I think he threw one ball he probably would have liked to have had back. He he was at the goal line and he just sort of um, he just he he just didn't necessarily put as much um, uh, zip on the ball as he should have, and and he sort of took for granted the throw was going to be there and it wasn't. Um, DB just stepped right in front of it. Um, I think it was Bratton who stepped right in front of it and then rumbled down the sideline. But I think that he, you know, he's got all the tools. I think the big question for for me with him is it's not necessarily, you know, how well he plays because I think you know that wide receiving core even without Lavelle Davis is really strong. Jelani Woods is a beast. Uh, that offensive line is going to be is going to be strong, and they have good running backs. The my question for him and and is really a question for Robert and I, which is like, what are you going <laughs> to do with a traditional running game, right? And is, if Virginia can get, if they can get that part going, even even at like fifty percent or so of like Jordan Ellis's pace, right, in terms of production and in terms of um, kind of coming through for him, Armstrong will be exponentially better. He's going to run it some, um, but I think that you know his ability to to get the ball downfield that's going to be a big focus for them. Um, and having this offseason, you know, time with him and his receivers to actually go out and throw. The fact that he was able to, to play as well as he did last year, considering that he didn't have spring ball, nor did he have that time with them, and he was sort of just thrust into it when they got back to camp, um, it's kind of impressive to me, honestly. So I think I think he's got I think he's the guy. Um, my question is like, who's going to be his backup? It seems like they, you know, Bronco said Ira Armstead, um, who was coming off that injury from last year, so he rehabbed it. Um, the Rodriguez kid who who came early. Uh, and then Jay Wolfolk, who was another 2021 signee who is um, going to come in this summer, like he he kind of thinks of all of them as equal behind. It's it, it's clear to me that Thompson is now a wide receiver. They yeah, might do that, some that stuff with him at quarterback. Has sailed, right? Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. Um, Jason Beck said earlier in the spring, like, hey, you know, he's got a shoulder injury, so we'd have to be mindful of reps and things. But that uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna work him some there. But it's it definitely seems like from the way, especially the way that they talked after the spring game. Or the spring last spring practice that um, that he's going to be a guy, um, you know that he's going to be um, that he's going to be somebody that um, you know that they need more out of, right? Like he's going to be a guy that they need to lean on because they don't have Lavelle Davis. So I think Armstrong is going to be the dude. Um, I don't have any doubt about him turning into a, a really good player, probably because you know I think last year he was he was already sort of on the cusp of that as as it was. I guess my other question would be, and this is this is a broad one, kind of a big picture one, but the bar, if the bar was set by that that last Bryce Perkins team, Coastal Division title, nine wins, get to an Orange Bowl, play in the ACC title game. If if that's the bar that's been set for this program now, how what needs to happen for this current team to approach that bar? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I think first, first they have to answer their their secondary question, right? Which is, you, you're bringing in some new cornerbacks. You're moving Durante Cross over to safety. There, there have been at least if Bronco did. You know, I, I asked a question about, it and he sort of, as much as Bronco can dance around a question, he, he <laughs> seemed to dance around it. I asked, like, look, it sounds like you're you're trying to run a three three five, right? And he, because he talked in the earlier in the in the spring, you know, it was it was there were this many, you know, this guy and this guy at linebacker, and then so and so was next, right? And then he talked about DBs, and he said, well, we've got, you know, we've got, you know, so and so and so and so at safety, and then we're just looking for who the other one is. So I mean, there was a lot of these comments. I'm I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but there were various comments at a couple of his availabilities that made me pretty, you know, pretty sure they were going three three five. And then I heard like, hey, they've been playing a lot of three three five. Um, it it is. Uh, I think it's imperative for them to figure out the secondary and the moves on the coaching staff, the changing um, assistant coach roles and giving, you know, cornerbacks to, to Brumfield and giving safeties to Hunter so that Howell can sort of freelance a little bit and move around and, and do more. I think that's going to be really good for them from an instruction standpoint and technique, but also too, like it'll be better for the defense as a whole because they are replacing Snowden and Zandier. And so it's that, it's that back eight that, it is the question for me, but especially that secondary. I think if they can get that group to a place where they make plays, um, they don't have to be, you know, where Bryce Hall was before his injury. The, you know that not the not that senior season, but his junior year when he shut basically a whole half of the field down. But they have to be way more reliable. 
the offense is going to score points to me. And if they want to win, you know, the coastal and they want to get back to, um, you know, big bowl games and such, like, I think that's got to be a big part of it is that secondary has to be able to be better than it, than it was not just last year, but even the second half of the season before, um, you know, that first half of the year, they were pretty, pretty decent. Um, and then, you know, it sort of flipped, right? The offense all of a sudden went from struggling to being good. And then the defense went from being pretty good to struggling. And I, I think they just got to well, be more consistent. It goes back to your whole your point earlier, right? Complimentary football, or excuse me, complimentary baseball. Now it's complimentary football, right? Like they have to get back to doing that. Um, and I think that's how they, that's how they get back to the to the Orange Bowl and things like that. In fairness, they also played Clemson in Florida to finish that. No, that's a few true. Years ago, so but, but not. But I don't even mean like then. I mean like from like the Carolina game well, on, man. For the Carolina, how was the quarterback of Carolina? Right? Yeah, like the defense yeah, was, he was, was really. They really struggled down the stretch, and I mean it was especially against the big play. Um, you can yeah. go back and look at the numbers, man. It was like it was like all of a sudden, you know, they sort of fell off a cliff, and and I think in part because the the havoc piece of it was was great. Until it wasn't, and when it wasn't, it, and, you know, think about the beginning of the last season. Like it was like really not. Yeah, I hear you, brother. <laughs> well, I think that is a. Um, I think it's a good place to put a pen in it. Um, I am very, very thankful that Damon gave me some time tonight. Um, said he would come on the show, and uh, want to thank also, um, uh, as you heard the 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 spot from. Um, Andy, um, my, uh, our new sponsor, um, uh, my perfect franchise, um, really appreciate him coming on and supporting the site and supporting obviously the podcast as well. Um, now if you are, uh, somebody out there who has, um, found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, you can look us up on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your programs. And if you're so inclined, give us a rating and review. We very much appreciate that helps to get us out in front of more people. Now, if you're somebody who has found the pod but you haven't looked at the website yet, you should check us out at CapsCorner.com. Uh, I mentioned Damon's uh, amazing long-form story on the on the former players and such who are kind of involved in living that MLB life. Um, I wrote that column, obviously, on transfer recruiting and how that can be a real source of success for the for the Cavaliers. Um, I actually wrote a piece earlier too about Anthony Johnson and sort of the, that the, how the defense has to cash in on experience um, and and sort of like how he's among several of those DBs that UVA is counting on. Um, so you can check those out as well. And then speaking of Brennan Armstrong, I also wrote a piece about sort of his confidence in the offense and why he thinks they can be the best one in the league, um, which I don't can't remember the last time I heard a Virginia quarterback say that. Um, but yeah, I want to um, thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Damon for being gracious enough to, to join the show tonight and give uh, Dave and Ferber a week off. Um, so I very much appreciate him taking time out of his schedule to do that. So for Damon Dillman, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon.